Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how are you this week? Doing well, doing well. Trying to uh, brace for the coming winter weather. Yeah, you've already, you, you guys already got a little bit of a taste of it. Got a little bit, got a little bit, but got more coming and I know North Carolina is fixing to get pounded. That's what we hear. We'll see. The kids really want it. It should be an interesting week end on the eastern seaboard. Yeah, I, I keep wondering about the ERLC folks. Yeah, they're going to be the, in D.C. for a few days, I think. I, I'm, I'm going to guess they're there to stay. They had a big event this week uh, and uh, some big news elsewhere. Uh, kind of related to ERLC, Saeed Abedini has been released from an Iranian prison. You might remember him, American pastor, been held in an, an Iranian prison. And uh, ERLC recognized his wife a couple years ago at the SBC uh, for her work in religious freedom. Yeah, and she's also gone around and spoken uh, and spoken at a lot of groups as well. She spoke to the uh, at the ladies' event for North Carolina Baptist earlier this year. So many people will be familiar with all that she's done on her husband's behalf. Um, but this was certainly really big news uh, for everyone. There had been a, a huge social media um, campaign about this for a long time. And, uh, you know, I think some people may not have even realized that he he was based here. I mean, he's pastoring in Idaho, I believe, uh, and had gone over there to uh, had gone back to Iran doing some work establishing an orphanage. And that's when he was arrested. So he was released along with some other Americans uh, as well in a, a deal that the State Department worked out. And so that was really, really big news. That kind of filled up the weekend news feed last weekend. That And it wasn't just him that was released. There were four others that were released. It was funny watching it online because I follow a lot of media types, and they were all talking about the Washington Post reporter who was released along with others. And then all the evangelical leaders I follow were talking about Pastor Saeed being released along with others. So I still don't know who the other two people are. but uh, Yeah, I'm the same way. But I do know about the guy from the Washington Post and the pastor. Yes, yeah. Um, So this... This was a big story just in general, and because of the Washington Post uh, individual, I think we probably saw even more uh, in the media about it. And that kind of led us into the other big news item of the week, because it was like there was two big waves of news this week. It was the Pastor Saeed, and then there was Donald Trump at Liberty University. Amy, walk us through what happened there. I do not even know where to begin, Jonathan. Um, it was an interesting day for sure. Now, let me just start out by saying that it's not an odd thing for uh, people all. of all of, of yeah, all Mitt Romney kinds. spoke the last election yeah. cycle. There's been others that have spoken there. Yeah, Bernie Sanders has been there. Liberty University has a long history of having folks from all perspectives um, at speaking in front of their students. They expose their students to a lot of ideas, and then particularly during an election cycle, they have people that represent a number of views. So having him on campus uh, was not was not an, an odd thing. Um, I think the things that seemed to stand out to folks were that uh, that President Falwell's remarks were, we'll just say they there were a lot of supportive, there, were, there was a lot of supportive language in what he said uh, in his introduction. And then I think anytime Donald Trump speaks, you're in for an interesting ride. We'll just say it that way. Uh, so his words were very uh very interesting and not uh, not different from what we normally hear from him in in these public events. But watching the social media reaction, that was where all the fun was. Uh, a lot of subtweets, a lot of uh, comments, sort of back against what what he was saying. 
then a lot of criticism of the subtweets and on and on and on, uh, leading up to a big endorsement that he received at the end of this week from former vice presidential nominee uh, Sarah Palin. And uh, so it's just been a strange week for for everyone surrounding Donald Trump. Yes, and it's only the third week of the year. Um, so That's correct. We've only got 10 more months of this, Amy. And a so, lot of primaries. Yes. A lot of primaries. Yeah, those start next month in Iowa and New Hampshire, so there'll, there'll be a lot going on in the next month or so. So kind of keep an eye on this. Uh, Baptist involves at almost every level, it seems. Uh, I know that the uh, Ted Cruz campaign was on a Southern Baptist College campus last week right. in South Carolina. They were in North Greenville. In North mm-hmm. Greenville. Yeah, and, and as, as we've mentioned before, I mean, Ted Cruz, he is uh, a, a member of a Southern Baptist church. Uh, Marco Rubio attends Christ Fellowship in Miami a fair amount and speaks um, speaks about that. So we we do have some folks uh, who are. Mike Huckabee is still in the race at this point and has a lot of, of connections. So, uh, so th- this is going to continue to be conversation among Southern Baptists. What are we going to do about this election, and how do we process it all? This week, uh, it just happened to be Trump at Liberty University. So. We'll kind of keep an eye and see what happens next. All right, moving on to the West Coast now. The relocation of Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, soon probably to be known as Gateway Seminary, uh, is kind of moving along, and, and they've announced some some delays maybe with the, the Bay Area campus. I saw they hope to be into that in the fall. Looks like it's going to be January before they get into the Bay Area uh, campus. That'll be in Fremont. Uh, that one fell a little bit behind due to some... Uh, bureaucracy issues, nothing on the goal, the seminary's part, but uh, something with the city. Uh, but they'll, right. they expect to open that one in January, and then the other one will be open in the L.A. area in Ontario. Uh, should be open this June, right on schedule with the main campus that will be in Ontario. they got a really nice building, a great picture of that thing. That really looks yeah, nice. Yeah, looks, it looks beautiful. An empty building that was built in 2009, uh, but because of the economy, never really was used. And they were able yeah. to get a good deal on it and are moving into that. Uh, and they've also got a lot of jobs open now with the uh, the dual campus role that they have. So you can right. check all that out at ggbts.edu. More than 40. And so the relocation, it's happening, um, but everything is also on track for the name change. We are slated for a final vote by the messengers. So make sure that uh, you're headed to St. Louis this year so that we can finalize that. Last week, we talked about the retirement announcement from Wanda Lee at WMU. Well, there's another opening in Alabama, and that is at the University of Mobile. And they have announced that they have a presidential search committee, uh, and they are looking to find the next president of the 1,500-student university in Mobile, Alabama, uh, supported somewhat by the Alabama Baptist Convention. Yeah, I actually don't have much experience with the University of Mobile uh, Jonathan, do you, I know you've, you're from bit. Alabama. A little yeah, bit. So yeah, tell I knew me some about. people that went there. Uh, it's, it's a very strong school from what I understand. Uh, Mark Foley's been there for 18 years uh, this year. He will be retiring. Uh, it's, it's only about 50, 55 years old as a college, uh, funded, like we said, by the Alabama Baptist Convention uh, some. They're probably most, lo- most known in Southern Baptist world for their music program, the Voices of Mobile, our common uh, convention attraction, I guess, or participants is better than attraction. Uh, but the you know, the Voices of Mobile sing a lot. I've, we've seen them at the Southern Baptist Convention, both national mm-hmm. and uh, the Alabama Baptist uh, a lot. So you'll, you'll hear them a lot. Uh, that's probably one of the most uh, visible 
signs of the University of Mobile. Very interesting. All right. So speaking of uh, universities, uh, California Baptist has had a big week. Yep. Money, money, money. $10 million <laughs> gift. Nice. Yes. $10 million gift to California Baptist University. Largest gift ever that they've received from an anonymous donor for the California Baptist University's Gordon and Jill Bournes College of Engineering. Very nice. Very nice. I actually don't know much about their engineering program there, but I think this is going to help it get even better. Obviously, it will. So uh, a nice chunk of uh, donor funding for California Baptist University. Turning now to a an issue kind of outside of the Southern Baptist Convention, but will probably impact the convention uh, in some form or fashion. The Episcopal Church has been censured by the Anglican Communion over their stance on gay marriage. Yeah. Now, one thing that's probably kind of interesting about this, it's very different to what we're accustomed to. I mean, the word Baptist can mean so many different things to us. So we have, we are the Southern Baptist Convention, but there are other groups. There's the American Baptist, the National Baptist Convention. Um, there are independent fundamentalist Baptists who don't, you know, meet in the same way. Um, the Anglican Communion is so unique in the way that, that they um, are structured because they have so many different groups and they're kind of like these different denominations, but then they all, they all sort of connect together. So you have Anglican Church in North America. You have um, there was a lot between the Anglican Mission in the Americas and then the Anglican Church in North America a few years ago. You have all these different groups, and then they participate in the Anglican Communion. What is kind of fascinating is that there's been sort of this really big tent that all these different groups could participate in and say, okay, we sort of, we're, we're all, we're all Anglicans and we do these things together and we have this type of church structure, but we're all over the map in kind of how we view certain things. This is a really big deal that the archbishops of the Anglican communion have said, you can't participate in communion because this is, this is distinctly off sort of the map of what we do. Um, so I, I, I was actually kind of even surprised to, to see this because um, for the most part, everybody just kind of participates. And so I think this is, I mean, from our standpoint, this is a very positive thing um, to take this stance, but, uh, but, I, I, but I still find that to be a really, I guess, a, a development that I didn't expect. Yes, and from a, a Baptist standpoint, it's a good reminder that the sexual ethic here in parts of the United States is not indicative of the sexual ethic and the historical teachings of sexuality are found around the world. Uh, right. And, and we sometimes forget that there are people in different parts of the world who think about things differently than people in the United States. So uh, this is a, kind of a good reminder of that, and that was pointed out in a lot by uh, Dr. Moeller and Dr. Moore. And their post and and talks about this. And this is going to be a developing, you know, conversation continued. Seeing the social media reaction to this was very interesting. Obviously, people who um, who I tend to agree with responded positively to this. But then there were a lot of folks that um, that I read, that I follow, that I don't don't really stand in line with, but I still read them because they help me be informed. 
They were so surprised that this happened. They were upset that this happened. So it's it's just interesting to see how this plays out. Yes, and on the topic of same-sex marriage, there is a, another story coming out this week about a homosexual activist group targeting Baptist schools, the ones that have requested Title IX exemptions. We mentioned this in our 16 questions for 2016. And, you know, not even three weeks into it, we've already got a a challenge about this. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me at all. I think we're only going to see this increase. And I think we have to start uh, just honestly just getting ready for it. I think this this doesn't even come close to some of the challenges we're going to see. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Amy. And that is uh, something that we will continue to see throughout the year. Uh, Also, another point of news from last week, carrying over from last week, we mentioned it last week on the podcast, Gary Hollingsworth was named the new state executive director in the state of South Carolina this past week. We sat down with him earlier this week and got an interview about his plans for South Carolina Baptists. Today on SBC This Week, we are joined by Gary Hollingsworth. Dr. Hollingsworth is the brand new state executive director for the state of South Carolina. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hollingsworth. You're quite welcome. Uh, Appreciate the opportunity. All right. Now, it's uh, some big news. First of the year here. uh, Just voted in this past week in South Carolina. So, uh, just take us through kind of the what led up to this, maybe just the interest that you had, some, uh, you know, what led you to where you're headed now. Right. And the real short version, uh, they actually contacted me uh, earlier in the year last year. And uh, a good friend of mine who's a state executive, uh, Dr. Rick Lance in Alabama, we have been long, long time friends, and Alabama is my home. And uh, so uh, lots of obvious connections there, and I was very involved um, in the state convention when I was a pastor there uh, at First Baptist Church Trustful in the Birmingham area. So Dr. Lance is the one who really uh, gave them my name and and suggested perhaps that they might uh, consider me, and so uh, they did, and we prayed over it, and really um, we just didn't know where God would lead, but uh, we actually kind of came to a point uh, in the latter part of spring and summer, and it, it did begin to move forward pretty quickly, and a wonderful uh, search team there in South Carolina, and godly, godly people on that uh, team. But my wife and I prayed about it and just didn't feel like it was the right time more than anything else, and so we uh, we declined the opportunity actually last year and, and kind of uh, felt like uh, we closed the door and moved on. But in the, the fall of this year, uh, just God began to too long of a story to go into, but one of those God things is we often say that God began to put some things back together, and they called back uh, Marshall Blaylock, who's the chairman of the committee and pastor of First Baptist Church in Charleston, and just asked me the question and said, has anything changed? Would you you know, possibly reconsider? And some things had changed, uh, not bad things, just kind of it was a different time in, in, in our life personally and different life, uh, di- different time in our life. Uh, with some ministry things, and and so God just began to really move and work. And long story short, that we the more we prayed, and we went back and made a, a, an on-site visit with them in the fall, and just came away with a real peace that that this was where God was leading us. So that's kind of the real condensed version of what happened over a course of almost a year. You know, I, I know you don't know a whole lot about South Carolina, having been mostly in Alabama and now Arkansas, where you pastor now in Little Rock, uh, but. South Carolina seems to be a very diverse state. You've got the coastal lands, you've got the capital city in, in Columbia, and then you've got uh, the Piedmont Plateau up there with uh, the Greenville area and Anderson, some big Southern Baptist churches in all three regions. Uh, how do you see the state convention and, and maybe how they serve each different region, even though those churches, they, they hold to a similar confession, obviously, with the Baptist faith and message, but uh, the church and the different types of people in the different areas of the state, 
you know, they're different. So how do you see the state convention relating to those different geographic regions of the state of South Carolina? Right. And, and that's a great question. And um, in, in terms of the geography, um, I know that, that there will be unique things uh, about uh, those three very very different parts of the state. But I, I, I honestly believe that the answer to that won't be so much the geography as much as it is uh, the four priorities that the convention have just affirmed in their meeting this past fall in November. And I, I think the thing that will, will really tie us together uh, will be focusing on those four priorities, which are church planting, evangelism, uh, missions mobilization, and church strengthening or revitalization. I don't know that we've really settled on a, on a particular term that might capture uh, the essence of that, but basically strengthening uh, existing churches. And so I think those four things really are uh, the mandate that now the convention is really giving to me as the leader of the state convention. So, so to say that, I, I think the way we'll relate in those different areas is coming alongside of those churches regardless of their size, uh, regardless of, of, of uh, um, methodologies and, and you know, differences that local churches have, uh, is that we're just going to stay very focused and tethered to those four priorities and then hopefully figure out ways that maybe we can customize those uh, four priorities in, in churches, whether they're new church plants or whether they're existing churches that hopefully we can you know, help strengthen and uh, I have concluded that church strengthening really is a discipleship issue, and so one of the things I know that we will really be uh, uh, tenaciously focused on is, again, helping churches perhaps uh, do a better job in, in, in just discipleship because disciples, uh, you know, discipleship affects everything from your stewardship to it affects evangelism it affects missions mobilization and uh, even with church planting i think all of these are tied together uh, as i read the new testament you evangelize and then congregationalize and so if you're not winning lost people to christ you know you may not have a need for a lot of new churches and just planting a church alone particularly if it's not a healthy church is not necessarily an evangelistic strategy uh, it can be a part of it, but I really think that the evangelism hopefully will feed and fuel the church planting. And I think that that may look different in the low country than it does, does in upstate, uh, just in terms of, again, kind of the missiological aspect of that. I, I think you just have to, to break down, uh, you know, good missiologists do exactly that. They, they find what the barriers are. They either build a bridge over that barrier or tear that barrier down and then do everything they can do to get the gospel into whatever culture they're they're looking towards. So one of the things I'll do, though, I will clearly be, I want to be, and seek to be the state executive for all South Carolina Baptists. And uh, having been a pastor in different places and in different settings, hopefully I'll be able to relate. I've served in small churches. I've served in uh, not-so-small churches. I've, I've also served uh, at the North American Mission Board and have that perspective. So I'm praying that God will just take all of those past experiences and hopefully – uh, allow those to come together so that we can serve all South Carolina Baptists uh, in any way that they need to be served. That'll kind of be my focus by staying on those four priorities. Uh, recent state executive director hires uh, that we've seen, specifically Tommy Green in Florida, uh, have come in, made some big changes quickly. Uh, is that something that, that South Carolina either potentially needs, uh, is on the table, or uh, maybe it's just something that it's a case-by-case -case basis, obviously. Right, and um, of course, I, I've, I can only 
speak in terms of uh, of what I know about Florida from a distance. I've I've never really even had a conversation with with Tommy. I'm looking forward to uh, now being his colleague. Uh, but the short answer would be I, I don't envision that kind of radical uh, sort of uh, uh, surgery, if you will. Uh, do changes need to be made? Absolutely. What those changes are, again, I, I don't really know. I'm uh, I was elected last Thursday. I'm obviously trying to do as much homework as I can, all the while also having about the next three weeks to say some very emotional goodbyes to an incredible church in uh, at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock. And so my my heart is definitely divided at this point. I, I've, I've even said that I I kind of felt like I was having a funeral and a new baby all in the same day, and uh, the funeral here and the new baby in South Carolina. So I say that to say. Uh, any changes that will be made will will be made strategically, uh, not just uh, for the sake of making change. And I will assure you that the changes that uh, that would come would only be made if, again, it will help us further the fulfillment of those four priorities. The, again, the convention has spoken. Uh, I do sense that that is the mandate is to help in those to work in those four arenas, and so I'm, I, I understand that that's my job description, and I understand that's how uh, I will ultimately be evaluated in terms of how we're doing in those areas, and so I can promise you that we will want to structure and staff in such a way that it will give us the greatest opportunity of having the greatest kingdom impact in those four areas. So what that will exactly look like, I don't yet know, uh, but I'm sort of... Uh, uh, more methodical often in my approach. Uh, I will be very prayerful. I will be very careful, and I, I won't make a decision on something until I know that it's the right decision. And in order to do that, uh, probably will take a little more time on my part to learn the state, uh, to learn the staff there, uh, to see where the strengths are, see where the areas of weaknesses are, and, and we'll go to work on those, I can assure you. But uh, I don't think that they could expect any sort of radical uh, day one that I'll come in with a with a brand new structure and major staffing changes. I would I would think they will happen, um, hopefully just sort of in a natural way, and and after a little bit more time to be able to really uh, assess what what's going on now. That's pretty much my approach. Fantastic. Um, one of the other issues that South Carolina has dealt with in the past twelve to eighteen months, I guess, is North Greenville University and the leadership there. Uh, even to the point last year where they had at one point had cut off funding from the school. What do you see as the state convention's role in higher education as it particularly relates to these Baptist colleges? Right. And, and of course, uh, I, I'm a big believer in and supporter of Christian higher education. I think that is of great value as we think about future generations of, of, of church leaders and ministers and, and all the rest. So, um, you know, uh, we do have uh, a long-standing tradition of uh, of, a, of a relationship with the institutional partners there in the state. However, I would simply say uh, that when you line those four priorities up, once again, I'm going to keep coming back to those in, in my work and see uh, where those institutions, whether they're the colleges or, or even the other ministries that are there. Um, I, I know that the corporate program uh, does not provide, obviously, all of their funding. I know it provides a portion of their funding. But I, I think those will be decisions that the convention as a whole will make and need to make in, and, uh, in, in, in future years. I, I do know that uh, on my part, uh, personally, uh, I do believe that getting states to a 50-50 split uh, in terms of SBC causes and in state causes, I know that that's a, that's a goal and a high priority. Many states are getting there, like Florida, much more quickly. 
Uh, even here in Arkansas, there's sort of a strategic plan to move in that direction. But at the same time, uh, without you know, sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face kind of deal, and uh, I, I would want to make sure, again, that I, I was fully aware of what impact any change of funding, what, what that might cause. I would never want to come in and just announce that. I would want to work strategically with uh, leaders of, of those uh, institutional partners. Uh, and, and, and sometimes you do have to make hard decisions. I do understand that. But, uh, again, anything we can do to help the role, I do believe that there's, there's great value in, in Christian higher education for sure. So, um, again, I think that's one of those things I'll just have to get there and, and learn what's going on, know what's going on. I do want to build relationships, uh, obviously, with uh, the leaders in each of those institutions. We've already begun that process. I was able to meet all but one of them this past Thursday. And uh, hopefully we got off to a, a good start as much as you can in just a short amount of time. But I can promise them, and I will promise anyone, that I, I will definitely be very visible and available. And uh, we'll just get together and pray together and uh, cast vision, hopefully, together for what it needs to look like in the future. But at the end of the day, we really want to make sure that we're doing everything we can do to advance those four kingdom causes. Uh, one other issue that's facing many state conventions, not just South Carolina, is the increased, well, is the decreased involvement of megachurches, especially the really, really large megachurches in the state convention affairs. Uh, a loose affiliation. I, I think you even asked a question this past week about that and, and addressed it. Could you could you address how state conventions can quote unquote bring back into the fold uh, some of the larger mega churches that maybe have become less involved in the denomination in the state convention? Yeah, that that's a fair question, and I guess just the two things that that come to my mind initially uh, uh, are are these things. Um, it usually begins with a relationship, and and so again, I. I will do everything I can do uh, to to reach out and build relationships uh, with those pastors. And really, again, as I said, I want to be the state exec for all South Carolina Baptists at whatever level. Um, as a pastor of a church, I have never qualified if – uh, if a church member who didn't attend very often and perhaps never even gave financially to the church, but um, if they were in the hospital, we made a visit. If they had a death in the family, we were there. If their child or grandchild got married, we did the wedding. And we never qualified ministry based on involvement. We just did the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And so I think part of it will be, again, building relationships. But then secondly, I do think there's a relevant uh, relevancy question. And uh, if, if uh, any church, regardless of size, if, if they've disengaged, very likely it's because they don't see the relevancy. They may not see the value added to their ministry, to their life, to what they're doing. They may not see the value of partnership or, or cooperation. And so, you know, uh, often uh, if you were to put those in, in order, honestly, though, I, I think that uh, that probably happens best when there is a relationship. And if you build a relationship with a pastor and they begin to know and trust your heart, and again, then you can hopefully begin to help them see the relevancy of the convention. And quite frankly, if, if the convention, if any convention, whether it's state or even the national level, if they've stopped being relevant, then the first question you need to ask, Will, is why and what would it take what do we need to do and how do we need to adjust so that you will see the relevancy and do and you will see the value added of the convention now coming along? And at that point, they'll want to be a part because then they will see it, they will get it, they'll understand it. And so I, I think those are the two things is relationship and relevancy. And so, again, I'll, I will work, um, you know, 
tenaciously at, on those. Understanding still, some may come back, some may reach back, and uh, if they do, wonderful. And if they don't, they're still going to be a part of the family, and we'll love them, and we'll seek to serve them in any way that we can. Uh, but that's kind of how I see that hopefully unfolding. All right, final question for you. Uh, you spent years and years as a pastor. I also spent some time at NAM. Uh, maybe some of the things that you're anticipating about being the executive director rather than you know the day-to-day pastor, and maybe some things that you may you know feel apprehension about uh, in this new role. Yeah, and again, great question, boy. Uh, as we, as a family, my wife and I, Gwen is her name, and. You know, we did the old thing that probably all of us have ever done, and uh, as you pray about it, but you get out the old piece of paper and put the pros, pros and, and cons, and, yeah. and we, we laid them all out there. You know, here's the upside, here's the downside. And and there are plenty on both sides of the ledger. I think on a personal level, uh, you know, I'm not having a congregation to relate to, and, and uh, I love my people, and, and uh, they love me, or at least most of them act like they love me, and that's a good thing. And so that's going to be different, finding a church home. I think for my wife, uh, finding that, that place of ministry, we have talked quite a bit about possibly a role, not in an official way, but uh, pastor's wives I know often feel very isolated. And and, and, and my wife is uh, uh, I'm married way above my head like most pastors I know. And, uh, you know, she has a heart for that. She's a great Bible teacher. She has a great heart. And uh, I think to reach out to, to many of the, the, the women of our state, but particularly pastors' wives. So I, I think there will be new things that we don't even know about yet that we're excited about. And then those things that we are familiar with about the ebb and flow of what it means to be a pastor every day, um, we're going to miss those, no question. So that's obviously we'll get there and we, we will join a local church. Uh, we've kind of even talked about uh, uh, what it will be like to be a, a church member, and I want to be a good church member. And so, sure, I'm going to preach as, as often as I can, and I hope that I'll get invitations around the state. I assume that will happen, and I do want to preach. But I, I don't want to preach out so much that I cannot also model uh, being a part of, of a healthy congregation by being involved in a local church. And after 41 years of, of ministry as a, as a staff member in that church, that will be very different for for us, but there's a part of that I'm kind of excited about because sometimes, again, you, you lose touch with what's really going on you know, at the, at, at the grassroots level, even in your own church. So I think there's some real upsides. I think there's some real challenging things as well. So um, we can only do this, again, knowing that uh, we have a peace in our heart that God has called us to it, and uh, we are excited for that opportunity. We're very honored by the opportunity, and we're really looking forward to getting to know South Carolina Baptist as quickly as we can. All right. Well, Dr. Hollingsworth, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate this, and I, I'm guessing this is probably your first podcast interview uh, as the new state executive director. It is. You have <laughs> broken ground, and I appreciate it so very much, Jonathan, uh, and appreciate again the opportunity. All right. Well, thank you again, and we'll see you in St. Louis. Thanks so much. See you then. Well, thank you for that, uh, Jonathan. Really great opportunity uh, so quickly after that announcement to just get get a conversation with Gary Hollingsworth, and I'm excited about the days ahead. His first podcast interview as the new state executive director. Probably his first podcast interview, period. I'm not sure how many times he's had that opportunity. So, Well, I uh, bet he'll get to have more now. Yes, he will. Well, yeah, if we have him on again since. Yeah. (laughs) Not too many Southern Baptist podcasts out there. Not that we're complaining. Yeah, and you run and you run most of them. Yes, so. I do. 
All right, that brings us to my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. Well, this time I just went to 1951 and decided to pull out something unique that should highlight, I guess, a, a trend that we don't see much anymore, but I was reminded about how we did see it at one time. Uh, so in 1951, it was announced that a pastor in Georgia uh, would be retiring. This was the Reverend M.J. Bruce. Um, and he's retiring from the ministry because uh, it says because of his advancing years. Here's the unique thing about him. Uh, he was part of the Georgia Baptist Association, spent his entire ministry in Georgia, and he pastored five rural churches for a total of 201 years That's in the amazing. five when you put them together. So he pastored them all at the same time. That is amazing. And, and the longest church, Williams Creek Church, he yeah. was there for 49 years. And the youngest was at Raytown, where he served for 30. Wow. So, you know, we've been, you, you see the trends in churches, uh, and right now everybody's talking about kind of the bivocational trend is coming back. But this is one that actually my grandfather, who was a Cumberland Presbyterian minister, he did this. Like he had um, more than one church at a time, and he would get up and do like early Sunday morning, and then he'd drive to the other one and um, had all these congregations he was managing. And uh, that's something that you used to see sometimes. And this one, he did it five five churches in the Georgia multi site. It was just one church. It was multi site, and he just made it sound <laughs> sound good like this. I mean, this is really well, multi site before multi site. This is a bunch right. of rural communities. Guys, pastor in five churches at one time. Yeah. And, um, retiring after two hundred and one years of service combined across the five churches. Amazing. That's dedication. That is absolutely amazing. So I just kind of wanted to pull a little nugget here uh, of something very interesting and honor this gentleman. Wow. Um, so that all happened this week in SBC history. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sitting here not too far from Norcross, Georgia, too, where we're recording this. I'm down in Georgia. Very nice. And um, wow, that is pretty amazing. So, all right. Well, that's, uh, an, again, well, you, you really blew my mind this week. So um, pastor <laughs> serves for 201 years. Um, that's wow. my goal. That's my goal. Wow. All right. Well, that brings us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? So I'm going to tell about one that I'm actually talking a little bit early. I don't think you can get it right now. It's not coming out till the summer, but I'm just excited about it. And it's a new study coming this summer by, from Lifeway uh, by Angela Thomas. And it's uh, called Redeemed. I think that uh, your folks are filming it this week. So I've been seeing a ton on social media about it. So I just kind of want to join that, um, all of that craze. And really what, uh, what I think about when I see that is there are a lot of great women's Bible studies out there. Uh, but as a pastor's wife, uh, the, the individual that probably did the most uh, for me in the books that I read in hearing her speak in taking the ladies in my church through some of the things that she did or taking them to hear her speak was Angela Thomas. So I'm really excited. And she's now Angela Thomas Farr. She's, uh, she's married uh, since uh, then, I think the last time I heard her speak, she had just gotten married. And so uh, I'm very excited to know that she has a new study coming out. She's doing it with you all again. And so it's coming this summer. I just want to generate some excitement. All right. Well, my resource of the week is churchanswers.com. It's an online mentoring program with Tom Rayner and myself and a few others that we've got going. So that is available to sign up for. It's a subscription-based service where you can come in and get three deliverables a month uh, via video. And some of the other levels, you get even more access and more interaction, personal interaction uh, with Dr. Rayner, myself, and others. So uh, I, I highly recommend that if you're looking for an online mentoring program, that is a great place to start. 
We, we had a pastor friend ask us about this a while back when it was first starting and say, hey, is this uh, worth it? And we said, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Thank you for that recommendation, Amy. Uh, we appreciate that. And uh, we, we're really excited. We've got a great group in there right now, a few dozen that we meet with every month, and then a lot more, about 100 more that, that are on the, uh, the basic premium level there. So uh, it's, it's really exciting to see that, hearing a lot of good things about the results of that. So if you're looking for uh, online, you know, kind of extended learning and, and mentoring by uh, people who know what they're doing, uh, there's Tom Rainer, and then there's also me in that group too. So um, you can get the, the ideas from him. And I love that. I love that thing that you just said. If you want to hear from people that know what they're doing, me. That was really good. No, I, I meant him, not me. I, I know. I just wanted to point that out. Yes. I loved it. All righty. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. And next week, we should have a full recap of Evangelicals for Life that's going on right now in Washington, D.C. Uh, if the ERLC guys can get back to Nashville at some point. I, I was going to say, my big question going into next week is, where are they? Will they be in D.C. at this time next week? Still? It's entirely possible they that they'll still be in D.C. Yes. Um, so, um, or, or they, they may just start hitchhiking back and make it to Casa Whitfield at some point. So who knows? That could be. So we'll have a full <laughs> recap of that next week. Also got an interview with Tommy Green that we're going to run this week. Thanks again to Gary Hollingsworth for coming on and giving us an interview this week as he is uh, the new state exec in South Carolina. We'll kind of keep an eye out and see what happens next week in the SBC. See you next week. See you next week.